your goodness, your mercy. And on this day, we remember, Lord. We don't ever want to forget what you've done for us, O oh Lord. How can we forget? Lest I forget Gethsemane. I can't forget, Lord. For if I forget to praise thee, may the tongue of my mouth cleave to the roof of my mouth that I become a mute. Oh, that men would praise me for his goodness and for his mercy. How can we forget this morning, Lord? We are so grateful for your forgiveness, grateful for your love, grateful that you would die for such a man as me. Oh, the mercy of our God. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Someone's got to shout amen this morning. Thank you so much. Grace team, thank you so much for being here with us this morning on this very special occasion as we remember. That's what Good Friday is. We remember what Jesus did for us. And if you brought your Bibles, not your phones, if you brought your Bibles, we are in the book of John this morning. John, the 19th chapter, we'll look at verse 25 to verse 30. In the book of John, I've entitled this message, The Price of Freedom. Although it's a tremendous price for our freedom, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything will cost you your life. And we tend to forget that in this age in which we live in, this Christianity in which we live in, the generation in which we live in, where we think that we can just believe and do whatever we want. No, my friends, there was a price. There was an incredible price that Jesus paid for our freedom. And we must never take that price lightly. John chapter 19, verse 25. Do we have that? Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother, the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son and then saith he to the disciple behold thy mother from whom that hour the disciple took her in unto his own home and after this Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished notice please that all things were now accomplished something was accomplished that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Everything Jesus did was in fulfillment of the scriptures. Nothing just happened. Everything took place according to the word of God. Fulfilled. He saith, I thirst. I thirst. And there was set a vessel of, full of vinegar. And they filled the sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop. And put it into his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, he said something so powerful, something that is unconscionable, something that's, in, it's hard to comprehend the power of these words. I will attempt to describe, I will attempt to explain in my feeble words. But he said, it is finished. Teleosa in the Greek. Teleosa. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Teleosa. 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 It is finished. It's been accomplished. A fait accompli. It's done. What has been done? What, what did Jesus mean when he said, It is finished. Brothers and sisters, this morning, we're going to look at the most significant words 
ever expressed on the face of this earth ever expressed from the beginning of time it is finished so powerful amazing and someone said to understand what Jesus meant when he cried it is finished that maybe you would have to be there and hear the tone in the accent of of, of what Jesus said to fully grasp what he meant but no friends that's not true that's not true at all it's something a lot deeper something more powerful for that for the interpretation of this message from the cross much more is required than to have heard it for no watching scribe no common thief not even the apostle John understood what Jesus had in his heart when he said to Leosa when he said it is finished and this morning we're gonna sit at the feet of Jesus and we're gonna attempt oh we can only just attempt to explain or try to explain what Jesus meant and what truly was accomplished on the cross when Jesus said to Leosa when Jesus said it is finished so significant so powerful and so what does it mean and what does it mean to me in the 21st century what does it mean for me today the things that I'm going through in my life what does it mean for me in what I'm experiencing today what does it mean it is finished well the first thing we want to look at brothers and sisters is we need to look at the life of Jesus and we look at the life of Jesus that his life was a serious and burdening thing to him his whole life he lived in, under such heaviness such pain throughout his whole life despite the joy he had and there was a reason why there was such pain there's a reason why there was such heaviness in the life of Jesus and the Bible tells us in Luke 19 that he came to seek which means to pursue in the Greek he came to seek and to save the lost and so he had a reason why he came to the earth he came to seek and save the lost there was a purpose to seek and save the lost he cared for people Jesus would leave the 99 and go and rescue that one individual why because he cared for people people mattered oh can I go deeper all lives matter all people matter to Jesus despite race and culture all lives mattered to Jesus that was why he came to this earth he came because he cared willing to die for that you see brothers and sisters today it seems it's all about skin but it's not about skin it's about sin yes today the answer my friend has it always been it's been grace it's always grace it's not about race it's about his grace and the woke movement will have you believe otherwise Jesus loved people of all color of all race Samaritan Jew Gentile Greek it made no difference he came to die for all of humanity he knew that he had a mission and I need to ask you brothers and sisters this morning we who call ourselves believers do we have a burden for the lost do I need to ask do we really care for people's souls and I'm not talking about just feeding the poor that's important I'm not talking about just taking care of people's physical needs that's important but can I go deeper this morning do you really care for the soul of that individual where that person will spend eternity see that's what's really important do you care for people's souls do you care where they're going to spend eternity what do you think Jesus meant and what do you think Jude said in verse 23 having compassion snatching them out of the fire what does that mean 
out of the fires of hell. In other words, loving people so much that you'll do whatever it takes because of compassion to see that they would not end up in this place of fire. You see, your love and your compassion is so deep that you want to do whatever you can to snatch them out so they will not experience a place of darkness, not just here in this world, but for all of eternity. You see, that's, that's what it's about. And you know, when you look at people who've encountered God in the scriptures, and even today, what, you, what is the first, let me ask you, brother, what is the first thing that happens when you truly encounter Jesus? Can I tell you what it is? You've got to tell somebody. Isn't that the truth? When I first got saved, I didn't go to church. I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't have somebody tell me what to do. When I first became a Christian in Los Angeles, when I first came to know, when I had an authentic, authentic experience with Christ, the first thing I wanted to do is I had to tell somebody. I had to tell somebody what I experienced. I experienced something fresh, something new, something so powerful that it changed my life. And if it changed my life, and if I've experienced something so powerful, I love you too much, friend, not to tell you about what I've encountered. Did this not happen to the leper in Mark chapter 1, verse 45? When the Bible says he went ablaze to let people know that he was healed by the son of the living God. Did this not happen with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4? A Samaritan woman, Jesus spoke to her, Jesus touched her, and what was her response? She dropped her pot and she went back into the town and she says, I gotta tell everybody of a one who knows everything about me. I wanna tell somebody of the one I just encountered. Oh, my friend, Jesus came to seek to save the lost. That's why he came to this world. That's why he died on the cross. But something, something's happened in the 21st century. There was a survey done years ago by Barna Institute. They surveyed 5,000 Christians. They asked them a question. What do you think is the purpose of the church? 84% of the 5,000 Christians from different denominations said, well, the purpose of the church is to meet my needs. 84%. And that's why my brothers and my sisters, we are in trouble today. If we think the purpose of the church is to meet my needs, oh, oh, we're, we're going to have a church that's so self-centered, so self-absorbed, all about me, myself, and I, whining and complaining, whining and complaining, and we'll keep burping baby Christians for the rest of our lives if we think that the purpose of the church is just to meet my needs. Yes, we're going to do what we can to help you out. Absolutely. That's, of course. But that's that's not the purpose of the church. That's, why do you think the prosperity gospel is so popular? Why do you think that some preaching today is so popular? Yes, the preaching that tells you how much God wants to bless you. He wants to meet your needs. He wants to bring constant this. He wants to meet that. Causing God to be some kind of cosmic bellhop. Making God some kind of cosmic Santa Claus. People love that. You know why people love this message? Because this message appeals to the flesh. This message tells me, oh, oh, God can, can just give me whatever I want. God will make me happy. God will meet my need. And so God becomes some kind of Aladdin in some lamp. And all I got to do is rub the lamp. Here comes the genie. Here comes Jesus. And he's going to meet my needs. And we become weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. No, my friends, the purpose of the church is to seek and save the lost. The purpose of the church is to reach out and win people to Christ. The purpose of the church is to be a light in this world, to be the salt of this world, doing whatever we can to help people come to know their God and their creator. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God salvation to the Greek and to the Jew I'm not ashamed today we're ashamed 
someone gets a little excited about Jesus, we try to shut him up. We're embarrassed to talk about God. Brothers and sisters, Jesus died for you in public, so please, please I implore you, don't live for him in secret. Oh, that men would praise him. Let the redeemed, what? Say so. You see, brothers and sisters, my responsibility is to bring the gospel to people's ears. That's my call. You see, as Jesus came to seek to save the lost, so must I if I am a true believer. My responsibility is to bring the gospel to people's ears so they can hear. How can they hear without a preacher? But it's God's responsibility to bring it from their ears to their hearts. Some plant, some water, but God gives you. I can't save you, but I can bring the message to the ears. So Francis of Assisi, you are wrong. Why is Francis of Assisi wrong? Who said, oh, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. You're wrong, Mr. Assisi. You have a half truth there. Of course we preach the gospel by our lives. Of course we preach the gospel by the light that is within us, by the example we set. Absolutely we preach the gospel by the lives we live. Absolutely. But if necessary, use words. Excuse me. How can they hear without a preacher? If they can't hear the word of God, how can they be saved? That's where you and I come in. Brothers and sisters, do you not see, do I not see that your life matters, that you have a purpose in your life? If you are a believer, you have a mandate. There's a mandate on your life to share the love of Christ. For God has called us to be fishers of men, not keepers of aquariums. My. <laughs> and it was God's love that propelled him to the cross because of the value of a soul. The value of a soul. People matter. That one person matters. Why do you think Jesus said to the disciples, they were all excited, they were, all, they were casting out demons, and they came to Jesus, says, Jesus, we're, even the demons are subject unto us. And what did Jesus say? What are you so excited? What? Is that really what motivates you? Is that what it's all about? No, no, don't rejoice because demons are subject to you. Rejoice that the names are written in the Lamb's book of life, that people are going to go to heaven, that souls are saved, that people have been translated, that there's been a transformation in the hearts of men. That's what matters. Transformation in the hearts of men. That's why Jesus came to this earth. And despite the fact that God is a God of love and peace and joy, this element that Jesus carried within him, this burden, this burden that he, that, that, that he constantly had, a constant trial, constant, constantly, something he had within him, he was bearing the sting of man's sin everywhere he went. And perhaps, however, perhaps the greatest pain was, was the moment of separation from his father while he was on the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It is finished was a cry of pain. Carried man's sin. Imagine carrying the sins of men. But for that moment on the cross, he was separated from his father. And I was thinking about this and I found myself in Psalm 22. We just read in our text that Jesus fulfilled the scriptures. Can I show you something? We're going to go deeper this morning. I want to show you something so powerful. I never really saw this before. When you turn to Psalm 22, I want to show you a prophecy concerning Jesus on the cross that is so powerful. Verse 1, they 
Describe this as the Psalm of David. David here is prophesying through this Psalm of a future event that will take place on the cross. How do I know that? Watch and see. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and far from the words of my roaring? These are the words of David, verse 1. But this is beyond the scope of his personal experience. Yes, David suffered. But what we're going to read now is beyond the scope of David's experience. David is prophesying of an event. He's talking about something in the future. Verse 6 and 7. Watch what it says in verse 6. But I am a worm and no man a reproach of men and despised of people. I looked about. I am a worm. I am a worm. You know, it's amazing when you think about a worm. Well, in Israel, friends, do you know there's a certain worm in Israel, watch this now, that certain people, they take this worm, they dry it out, and they crush this worm, and as they crush this worm, they get a certain red dye from it. They use for their garments and for their vessels. I am a worm, red dye, a picture of the blood of Christ poured out, Notice verse number 7. Look at verse number 7. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads saying, this, this is a prophecy of something that took place. And we see Matthew chapter 27 verse 31. We see this in fulfillment in Matthew. The very same thing is taking place. Look what the Bible says. And after they had mocked me, that's what it says, they laughed, they mocked the same word. They took the robe off him and they put his own remnant on him and they led him away to crucify him. We see that being fulfilled. Notice verse 8. Verse 8, what happens in verse 8 of of, of chapter 22 of the book of Psalms? Look what it says. He trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him, let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Verse 9, Thou art he that took me out of the womb, thou didst make me hope, when I was upon my mother's breasts. What's going on here? This is, this is paralleled in Matthew 27, 43. Matthew 27, 43. Look what happens here. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will save himself for he said, I am the son of God. This is David saying this. He's, he's saying this. But Jesus is saying this. This is a prophecy of Jesus. Notice verse 11. It says, many are the strength of bulls. Bulls are running around. Look what it says here. 22.11 of the book of Psalms. 22.11. Let's go back. Look. But not far from me, for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Going. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me around. Bulls speaks of strength. And many will look at this as the strength of Rome. The strength of the Roman army. Invincible that surrounded him. Verse 14 and 15. This is how Jesus died on the cross. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted in the midst of the bowels. Verse 15. Look what it, my strength is dried up like potshead, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of the earth. This is a picture of Jesus. Verse 16, dying on the cross. He's weak. He's dying. And notice it speaks about dogs. In verse 8, for dogs have compassed me. Uh, the, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. Dogs is another name for Gentiles. The Romans were around. They're Gentiles insulting him. They pierced him and we see this prophesied here in John chapter 20 verse 34 they pierced his hands we see Luke 23 34 as they gambled off his garments everything was prophesied this is not what David is going through David is prophesying of a Messiah of Jesus what he will experience on the cross hundreds and hundreds of years later this was a burdening thing for Jesus Jesus was a stranger on earth. 
Everywhere he looked, he saw people lost without a shepherd. The Bible tells us in Matthew 15, when he looked at the lost, his Bible says he was filled with compassion. The Greek word compassion means that his stomach was tied up in knots. He was so burdened for humanity, he cared for people. He cared for the state of people and for humanity. And that's why he came here. He saw people in his stomach tied up in knots. He saw them as lost sheep. He is the shepherd. He came, he walked down the streets of the city as a doctor walking down a ward of the hospital in pain. And throughout all of his life, he was this constant heaviness, this constant Gethsemane as he looked to Jerusalem over the hill and he cried out, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how I've longed to embrace you as A mother hen embraces her chicks, but you've rejected me. And he weeps. He experiences the pain of the rejection of his own people. Experiences the pain of the rejection of those that he came to die for. And it broke his heart. He was in agony as a result of this. And now after hours and hours of this pain on the cross, this agonia, the Greek word excruciating pain it was over the cry of relief it was over it is finished the sin of humanity has now been taken on me and he died this death this agonizing death, but it was a relief because now, Teliosa, it is finished. These were his last words. But friends, it was not only a cry of relief because now it's over. That burden is over. It's done. It's been accomplished. I bore the sins of, of the world and now it is finished. But it was also a cry of victory, a cry of rejoicing. Now the veil has been torn from top to bottom. You see, despite his pain, despite the agony of the sins of the world upon him, can you imagine how desperate that was? Yet, yet, yet despite all that, there was a joy. There was a sense of victory. Good Friday is not a time to pout, my friends. It's a time to shout. Because it's a, it's a cry of victory. A cry of relief, yes. Yes. The burden he carried, absolutely. But it was also a cry of victory, a cry of rejoicing, of rejoicing. Because something powerful is going to take place. Something's going to happen. Even in his dying hour, we just read it in Hebrews chapter 12. For whom, watch this now, for the joy that was set before him. There was still a joy. There was a joy. He was going to the cross, but there was still a joy. Despite the pain, despite the burden, despite the heaviness of that hour, despite the fact that he would sense a separation from his father, there was still a joy. There was still a joy. The cross that was set before him, there was a joy because something was about to take place that will change the course of victory, of history. Because now the price for sin has been paid for only through him, through the sinless lamb of God, the unblemished lamb, the lamb that John saw in John chapter 1 as Jesus was approaching him to be baptized in the Jordan. He looked at him, he said, Behold the lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world, the lamb of God, the sinless lamb, the unblemished lamb, the perfect lamb. No stain had marred his past, my friend. Nothing he said or did required any kind of forgiveness. Jesus never repented. He is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he needs to repent. No, my friends, this was no ordinary man. This is the God-man, the Theos Anthropos, the God-man, fully God and fully man who died on the cross. No one else could have done this thing. Mohammed couldn't do it. Buddha can't do it. Krishna can't do it. Because you're just man. You're just 
flesh and blood. No, 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 no. This was an extraordinary man. No simple man. He was not just a prophet. Oh, he was beyond a prophet. There was something special about him. He is the God-man who came to this world, the sinless Lamb of God, to seek and save those who were lost. Jesus was on a mission. And what we see here on the cross, my friend, is a fierce battle cry of victory to Leosah. He is my Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. He's my victory. Thanks be to Christ who always causes me to triumph in Christ Jesus. Just try. He gives the umph. He's my Jehovah Nisi. It was a battle cry. It was a cry of victory. It is finished. Yes, a cry of relief. Ah, but also a cry of rejoicing. Something powerful has happened. Something glorious has happened. Something victorious. Yes, it is a brief utterance. It is finished. Just a few words. Yet, my friend, so powerful, even eternity cannot contain its power. It is finished. Truly, these are the greatest words ever expressed on the face of this earth. For all things which the law of God required accomplish, it is finished. All things needed for redemption accomplished, it is finished. All things needed which prophecy predicted, it is finished. Jesus fulfilled every prophecy mentioned in the Bible. Over 300 prophecies concerning Jesus, he fulfilled every single one of them from his birth to his death. How can a man in his own strength fulfill prophecy when he wasn't even born yet? When these prophecies were given hundreds and hundreds of years before his birth? No, my friends, this was not a simple prophet. This was not an ordinary man. This was not a good man, as some taught. Something much more, much deeper. Oh, my brothers and my sisters, nothing, nothing was left wanted. He paid it all. Look, he could have very easily got off the cross any time. As the Bible even said, he could have called angels to, to, to come and rescue him. That wasn't a problem. Jesus could have done whatever he wanted. He was the miracle working God. But he didn't want to get off the cross because that's why he came. He wouldn't. He wouldn't because he loved you and me so much. It wasn't the Jews that crucified him. Not the Romans that crucified him. Or maybe technically, but this is not about a technicality. No, my friends, he came to die. Did not he say in John chapter 12, verse 2, watch this now, the hour has now come where the Son of Man will be glorified. The hour has come. In other words, my time has come. You see, friends, God is in control. Nobody took Jesus to the cross. It wasn't that Jesus had to fight them off. Jesus, at the right hour, at the right time, went to the cross because God had it done that way. God saw it that way. And now the time had come. The hour had come. Do you remember in John chapter 19, Pontius Pilate is questioning Jesus. He wasn't sure what was going on. Answer me, are you the Son of God? Are you the Messiah? And there was a, a silence. Pilate was upset. He says, do you not know that I've got the power and the authority to crucify you? How dare you stand here in silence? Do you not know who you're speaking to? And Jesus looked at him, broke his silence. <laughs> he said, you've got no power over me. For all the authority you have has been given to you by my Father. God had everything ordained. Every single occurrence, every experience. What have we said over and over again, friend? Nothing just happens. 
all the prophecies, all what we call our circumstances. God is leading. God is directing. God is a sovereign God. God saw this. God saw this hour. There was no option. There was no other choice. There's no other way. Jesus had to come. The Son of the living God had to come. And now because of the cross, our guilt has been taken care of. Our shame has been taken care of. The shackles of sin have been released. I'm free. Yes, I'm free indeed. And I can shout hallelujah. And I can sing his praises. I'm free. There's the heaviness is gone. The, 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 the guilt and the stain, it's gone. I don't have to live in bondage anymore. I don't have to walk around looking over my shoulder and see who's looking at me. I don't have to walk on eggshells anymore because I'm free. And whom the sun sets free is free indeed. All because of the cross. Cross, cross, this is the Father's will that Jesus came to die on the cross. For God can ask and do no more. There's nothing more God can, there's nothing more God can do. There's no greater thing that God can do. The greatest thing that God ever did for humanity was to send his only begotten son. Whosoever believes, pistevo, pistevo, the Greek word, pistevo, to believe. And that's where we get misunderstood. We're misunderstood here because we think we just believe. No, friends, it's not just to simply believe. The English word to believe is, is so weak and anemic. The word to believe, pistevo, means to believe with one's heart mind and soul so if I say I'm a believer what I'm saying is I believe God with all of my heart my mind and my soul and let me tell you something brothers and sisters if you believe in God with all of your heart your mind and your soul you're not going to be the same person you were yesterday something's going to change something's going to transform you're going to experience some form of metamorphosis you're going to experience what happened in first Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 8 as Paul's addressing the church of the Thessaloniki he says I seen something in you for you have now turned from your idols they turn from their idols because they believe and when you truly believe you will turn from your idols my friend and today we don't like talking about these things we try to have the best of both worlds but no my friends it is finished what about you, my brother and my sister? Can you say it is finished? Just look at our unfinished projects, unfinished business, New Year's resolutions that have never been even remotely dealt with, unfinished houses. Ever seen houses that are not finished? Like Schubert, the great composer, we die leaving unfinished symphonies all over. Unfinished, unfinished unfinished, unfulfilled, unfinished bucket lists that we leave on our desk. But Jesus died and finished the task set before him. And that's why the Bible said in Hebrews 12, let us lay aside every weight that so easily besets us and let us run with patience this race. Oh, I can't wait till I start running again. It's coming soon. I tell you something, friend. I got to run this race. I got to run this race. I got to let us lay aside these weights. I got to get rid of all these weights, these things that are weighing me down. I'm a believer. I can't stand still. I got to lay, I'm in this race. I got a journey before me. I'm running this with the Greek word trecha which means continuous motion I got to keep running this race that's set before me notice it's set before me who said it? God said it God's in control God's put you in a race friend God's put you in a race He's in control of your life and your destiny He is the one who has put you where you are but you need to run this race and I, what's my goal? Can I tell you my goal? I got to cross the finish line. I got to finish the race that God has set before me. How many people start well, but they don't finish well? Oh, we're very good with our words. Oh, boy, we can speak a lot of things and say a lot of things, but how many things that we say, we actually do?
Help me to finish this race, Lord. Help me to endure to the end. Help me to be a light to the end, Lord. Help me not to be bogged down by the weight of this world that would cause me to compromise. Help me to lay aside these weights that will hinder me from going forward with you. Help me, Lord, protect me from all these voices that are telling me what to do when I know what I need to do otherwise. Help me to run this race to the end. Lord, let me learn from your example the joy that was set before me. You went to the cross. You didn't stop at Gethsemane. How many people stop in Gethsemane because it's a little bit too hot? How many people stop at Gethsemane because, because of some kind of persecution? Or, oh, look what he said of me and you stop right there in Gethsemane. But no, 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 no. God's called me to go beyond Gethsemane. I got to finish my task. I got to finish my course. I got to keep running. I got to keep seeking. I got to keep crying. I got to keep praying. I got to keep going forward. And so, my friends, number one, it was a cry of relief to Leosa. It is finished. Number two, it was also a cry of victory, a cry of rejoicing why? because sin has finally been dealt with and there is a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory but then number three my third R oh watch this it was a cry of resolution oh something happened something so powerful took place on the cross not just a relief not just rejoicing but an incredible resolution has taken place something truly powerful has happened on the cross Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies as I mentioned everything concerning him Isaiah 7:14, he would be born of a virgin Isaiah 9 this child will be born and he would be the everlasting father prince of peace he is the great I am Micah 5.2, the prophecy of his birth, exactly where he would be born in Bethlehem, not north, not the north. There were two Bethlehems in the time of Jesus' birth. There were two Bethlehems, but Bethlehem of Ephratat, southern Bethlehem, the exact place of his birth was prophesied. Zechariah 9 tells us he'd be coming, walking, riding upon a donkey, not a horse. We talked about that last week. And Isaiah 53 tells us that he is a lamb going to the slaughter. Jesus fulfills it every single word and if I had more time I'd give you the other prophecies and expand on them but I can't but I'll give you one incredible prophecy that that Paul quotes and speaks of in Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 where the Bible says but when, but when, not if, but when, when the fullness of time. See, God's in control of time. God's in control of circumstances. God is sovereign. When the fullness of time, when the hour had come, when the right time had come, watch it. God sent forth his son born of a woman. The timing. You see, it was no accident that Jesus went to the cross. It's no accident. Nothing. Directed by God. God, the great architect and great designer, had it that way. You see, my friends, if Paul had spoken of an ordinary prophet or man, there would have been no change. Not at all. Nothing really would have happened. But this was not an ordinary prophet, an ordinary man. John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word became flesh. This is not an ordinary man. John chapter 10 verse 30. I and the Father are one. The Greek word means the same substance. This is not an ordinary man. John 8 58. Before Abraham was, I am. The same I am we see in Exodus. I am. Ego ime. I am. This was not an ordinary man. John 17. What do we read here? Verses 1 and 3. You have given me authority over all flesh, Jesus praying to the Father, to give eternal life to all who have given me. Who can give eternal life? Can you? Can an ordinary man give eternal life? Can an ordinary prophet give eternal Can Mohammed give eternal life? Can Krishna give eternal life? Only God 
can give eternal life. Only God can forgive sins. No, this was no ordinary prophet. This was no ordinary man. This was something far beyond words cannot describe. You see, if Jesus was an ordinary prophet, there would have been very little offense. Nothing would have really been accomplished, my friends. Just a good man, just another martyr. Oh, just another martyr. A good teacher. But Jesus shocked the world. Jesus disturbed the religious intelligentsia. Oh, he shook everything. They hated him. He was an offense to the world. And today, my friends, oh, I got to go deeper. Jesus is hated today more than ever. Have you ever noticed? You can be a Muslim or a Hindu or any other religion. You go into your schools and you want to bring something in the name of your religion. And what will the brain trust of that organization say? Oh, let me see how we can accommodate you. You want a, pr a Muslim prayer meeting? Let's have a Muslim prayer meeting. No problem. Let's bend over backwards to help you out. I'll help your cause. We'll get, we'll get the prime minister to go visit you. And we'll have the prime minister attend all the, the, the religious festivities. We're just going to embrace everything because, because we have no problem with you. And here comes the Christian. Uh, sir, we'd like to have a prayer meeting. You'd like to have what? I want to have a prayer meeting. Can we get... And they'll shut you down. They'll shut you down. They'll call you a whoremonger. They'll call you a bigot. They'll call you. They, they, they'll hate you because you want to bring something in the name of Christ. Have you ever noticed, my friends, how there seems to be tolerance for everything? But when it comes to Christianity, my, the media hates you. The world will hate you. They will hate you because they hated Jesus. That's how you know. That's, and they'll try to kick you out. Did you see what, did you hear what happened just a few weeks ago in Nashville, Tennessee? This transgender, she, she, he, I don't know, went into a school. This school and killed three kids and three adults in their 60s. And it seemed to be no big deal. I mean, you heard about it, but it was wasn't really something that that really made all the I mean few things were mentioned but but it wasn't anything out of can you imagine if somebody went into a Muslim establishment or went into a gay bar and shot three people the whole world would know of it but because went into a Christian school that's okay we won't make a big deal about it Oh, let me tell you, friends. They will hate you. They will hate you. The world wants nothing to do with Christianity. And let me tell you, this transgender person killed these six individuals. It was a hate crime against Christ. The media won't tell you that. They'll try to cover it up. They won't do anything about it. Today, you speak about Jesus, they will despise you. Today, truth is the new hate speech. Today, truth is the new hate speech. And you've heard me say this, and I'm going to say it again. I'll tell you, friend, truth sounds like hate when you hate the truth. And they'll hate you. And the more society drifts away from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak the truth. The more society drifts away from the truth, the more they will hate you and hate the truth. And they'll look at you and they will despise you. That little 16-year-old boy that took a stand against, against uh, homosexuality here in Canada. They have two different bathrooms. Now you got bathrooms for transgender people and, and they're going in. You got men going in there. And he didn't want to be a partake of that. He didn't want to uh, succumb to that. He didn't want to agree with that. And he took a stand and they hated him and they kicked him out of school. Because of his convictions in Christ. And so... What have we done? And some people in the church, 
We've allowed the woke movement to influence people in the church. We've allowed the woke movement to influence people in the church. What if some people in the church, we've succumbed to this pressure and we become laissez-faire and we've compromised our convictions and so now we allow drag queens in our churches to teach our children. We've kicked the Bible out of the pulpit. Now we just preach on stories. We've compromised and diluted God's word. You know what? All in the name of tolerance. Because we're called bigots. Because we take a stand against homosexuality. We take a stand against adultery. We take a stand against, against drugs and crime. And so now we're called bigots. And, and, but some who have cowardly hidden behind the rocks so they can be accepted and approved by men have allowed some of these things to influence the church and we've diluted the message and now we don't preach from the word of God anymore we've changed our message all in the name of acceptance and tolerance and now we're attempting to make the truth inclusive so what can we do to attract the world to the message let's Let's make it attractive. So let's change the way we preach. Let's change the way our buildings look. Let's change our message. Let's make it more palatable for people. Let's not preach against sin anymore. Let's not talk about the blood. Let's not talk about God too much. Let's just talk about my needs. Let's just talk about how, how I can be blessed. Let's just talk about how I can make it in this world. I don't want to talk about absolutes. No more absolutes. Let everything be relative. And by doing so, we're attracting people to the church and we are no longer making disciples of men. That's not what Jesus died for. The fastest growing churches in this world today are churches just like that. Brothers and sisters, I have a word. If Jesus preached the same message that many preachers preach today, he would have never been crucified. It's time for the church to take a stand. Today, more than ever before, the message has been diluted. People are not standing for truth. Jesus who died on the cross sacrificed his life has very little meaning but he was and now because of this I have deliverance from sin and I am a new creation in Christ if I believe what Jesus did for me it will change my life I will be born again of the spirit I'll be a brand new creature in Christ. There's something powerful. A resolution has made. If you receive Christ, something is going to change. Easy believism doesn't exist. If you know God, if you've experienced God, there's going to be a change. A resolve has taken place. You won't be the same again. When I came to Christ, I wasn't in the church. I didn't know anything. I never went to church, but when I received Christ on my knees in that stinky small hole of an apartment I lived in, mice infected, flea infested bed. Yeah, yeah. But there on my knees, I cried out to God. There in my knees, I cried out to a God I wasn't even sure of. I didn't know, but I cried out. Lord, if you're there, I need you. I need you in my life, Lord. And I cried out. And he heard me. Hallelujah. How did I know he heard me? Because he changed my life. He didn't have to come and tell me, Hey Dino, stop smoking. Stop drinking. Nobody told Don't go to clubs anymore. Sit. Nobody told me that. I didn't have anybody. I didn't need people to tell me that. I'll tell you why. Because when Jesus is truly in your heart, that's going to happen anyway. 
finished. It's real. Changed me. Speaking of Hollywood, when you look at some actors on television and films, what do they do? Actors, they take things that are imaginary. What? As if they are real. So they take the imaginary and they make it real. Ah, but the Christianity today, oh, the Christianity I see today takes what is real and makes it imaginary. That's not why Jesus died on the cross. It is finished. It's a resolution of the reality of the forgiveness of sins. Nineteen twenty-seven, there were two men that graduated from a high school in England. They went back to their high school reunion several years later. One became a preacher, the other became a famous actor in that day. During the ceremonies, back then they would read the Bible, believe it or not. These two men were asked to read from the book of Psalms, chapter 23, part of the ceremonies. And so, the actor comes up and he picks up the Bible that was there and he begins to read from Psalm 23, true story. And he begins, oh the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he waxed eloquent and people were just moved because he had a great accent, a great delivery. And they applauded him when he finished Psalm 23. Then the pastor comes up. And takes the Bible and he could hardly speak. He says, The Lord is my shepherd. And he began to, to break. I shall not want. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Surely goodness and mercy. And when he finished, there was a hush in the congregation. You could, you could hear a pin drop. When the actor saw this, he got out of his seat and he came to the front, true story, and he said, he said, friends, he says, you, you applauded me when I read Psalm 23. Thank you for that. But you wept when the pastor read from Psalm 23. You see, I, I know the words of Psalm 23. But you wept for the pastor because he knows the author of Psalm 23. I want to ask you on this good Friday morning, my brothers and my sisters, do you know the author of Psalm 23? Do you know the author of the one who cried out, it is finished? Do you know him? And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Do you, do you know him? Is he real? That's all that matters. And so where are the seekers of wisdom who elevate wisdom and knowledge? Where are they? Where are the religious scribes who seek after signs and wonders? I ask you, where are they? Where are the secular humanists who elevate man, who deify man? The secular humanists who put man on the throne and say, this is our answer. I am a God. I can solve man's problems. We need more presidents. Yeah, we need more, more those in government who bring the answer. But I tell you, our problem is not political. It is spiritual. Men who deify man, men who put men on the throne. Really? Well, let me ask you, oh sovereign man. Can I ask you, Mr. Trudeau, or any other, oh, can I ask you, what have you done to really help humanity? What has man done? We who have deified man, we have put man on the throne, man and all of its intellect, man and all of his ability, man and all of his power, man who's able to do all things, man and all of his intellectual abilities. What has man done today for us in this world? Let me see, let me see. Can I count the ways? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, crimes increased. 
Sexual abuse has increased. Drugs and pornography have increased. Sin has increased. Lies and deceit have increased. Deception has increased. Do you know that there was a survey in the States and they have said that people have less confidence in their government today more than ever before. And so I ask you, Mr. Secular Humanist, those who deify man, is man really the answer? The ability of man? Oh, friends, what philosophy cannot do and what intellect cannot supply, Jesus Christ does when he cried out, it is finished. The greatest resolution. It is finished. Now friends we have access to the throne of God. Something powerful has happened. He did something that no man can do. Look, 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 look. If I put a basketball in my hands I might be able to get a few hoops. If I put, if I put a baseball in my hands I might throw it, play pitch and catch. But if I put a basketball in the hands of Michael Jordan, whoo, watch out. You, championships could be won. If I put a ball, a baseball in uh, Alec Manoa, one of the latest great pitchers of, uh, of the Toronto Blue Jays, if I put the baseball in there, oh, I'll get a lot of strikeouts and I'm going to win a lot of games in baseball if I put a basketball in Michael Jordan's hand and a baseball in Alec Manoa's hand. But if I put some nails in my hands, well, I, I, I might be able to, 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 to nail some pictures to the wall. Some of you might be able to make a nice birdcage. I don't know. But if I take those nails and put them into the hands of Jesus, I get the greatest resolution known to man. I get the forgiveness of sins. I get to be with my, my heavenly father. And as Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. If it was not so, I would have told you that in my father's house there are many men. You see, brothers and sisters, Jesus went to the cross for me, but he also went, are you ready for this? He went as me. He took my sin my guilt, my shame. I don't have that debt anymore. You ask me why I love Jesus. He paid a debt, my debt. He brought forgiveness. He brought a peace in my life. A peace that a lot of people would spend millions of dollars. I know where I'm going. I have a destiny. I got to close. But I'm going to shout something powerful, friends. I got to shout because I'm telling you something. When I think about the Lord, how He saved me, how He raised me, how He healed me, how he delivered me makes me want to what? What did I say in the beginning? Good Friday is not about pouting. It's about shouting. Because I'm free. Because he set me free. Oh, you want to talk about shouting? I told you I'm going to close right here, right here. You want to, you want to talk about shouting? I'm going to talk to you about shouting. In the Old Testament when the tabernacle was made, the priest would perform his religious duties. He would do it over and over again, but there was no seat in the tabernacle, no place for the high priest to sit down. You know why there was no seat in the tabernacle for the priest to sit down? Because his job was never finished. Year after year, my sister. Amen. Ah, never finished. Never done. Year after year, he would sacrifice animals, atone for the sins of the people. But now, my brothers and my sisters, Jesus is sitting on the right hand of the Father. 
I didn't finish Hebrews 12.2. I didn't finish Hebrews 12.2. I started with that earlier. The Bible says, what just now? For who the joy that was set before him endured the cross. We said that. But here's my conclusion. What is? What is it? And is set down at the right hand of the Father. Why is he sitting down? Because Teleosa, it is finished. Fait accompli. Sin is gone. My life is free. He did it. I've got access. The veil has been torn from top to bottom. I can enter in. John saw it in chapter 5 of Revelation. He saw one sitting on the throne at the right hand of the Father. The one who was worthy to open the scroll. It is finished. I'm free. All because of Calvary. Can we all stand together? We got to stand together. Can we just bow our heads just for a moment, please? Wouldn't it be a terrible thing to come to a Good Friday service, an Easter service, and not know the one we are celebrating? What a travesty. And yet, year after year, thousands upon thousands of churches, we see that as as a reality of what goes on. When Jesus said it was finished, that means I can experience something that is supernatural, that changes my life. And what happened to the leper? He spoke it out. What happened to the woman at the well? She spoke it out. Something transformed them, and they wanted to speak about Jesus. Just wanna speak the name of Jesus.